Um, let's pray. Let's pray really quick. Um, dear God in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for this uh, evening that we get to spend in your word um, and after which to discuss these things and to seek to apply them. I pray that we would have attentive hearts and minds as we hear um, the truth from your word as we enter into Titus 3. Um, and I pray that um, as we discuss these things in small group that um, it, would, it would sink in about how we can um, effectively do these things. Not in our strength, not in our power, not in our worth, but in your worth alone um, through the, the love and the grace that we have received in Christ. We pray this all in his name. Amen. A final, a final few encouragements for you. If, if, if some of you are still, still working on our monthly prayer challenge, this is an encouragement for you to finish strong. If some of you haven't even started yet, this is an encouragement for you to start. So, um, I, just a, a few thoughts more on, on, on why you should finish strong in this prayer challenge. We only have four more days left of our October prayer challenge. This is quickly becoming my favorite favorite thing that we do in the year. I just love Octobers now because it is just such a rich time of so much prayer. Do you realize that if you pray uh, for 30 minutes every day of October, that by the end of this month you will have prayed for about 15 and a half hours? That's really exciting to think about, isn't it? That's just amazing, right? Um, and and, and uh, first encouragement uh, for you to continue and finish strong is to to do it, to finish strong. And if, you, and if any of you have um, perhaps not even started, hey, there's still four days left. And four days in prayer are better than no days in prayer. I would say that to you. I'd also say that um, the devil's favorite encouragement for you would simply be, oh, you'll just do it next time. You'll just do it next year. No. Do, do the final four days of this prayer challenge. Great benefit will come from it. Um, good intentions about prayer is not prayer. Good intentions about prayer are just that, good intentions about prayer. The devil loves good intentions about prayer, as long as it doesn't lead you to actually pray. Use this time as an opportunity, um, through the encouragement of your fellow students in your small group, to actually seek God in prayer. Here's another encouragement for you. Um, Everyone, everyone is naturally like a thermometer. Everyone is naturally like a thermometer, but prayer, prayer turns you into a thermostat. Everyone is naturally like a thermometer, but through prayer, through continuing on in prayer, through being faithful in prayer, your life can actually become a thermostat. What do I mean by that? Well, a thermometer, as you know, and, and I got this illustration from H.P. Charles, one of my favorite guys right now, uh, but a thermometer, as you know, simply indicates the temperature of the room that they are in, doesn't it? It just tells you how hot or how cold it is. Everyone naturally, in their own strength, just reflects what their culture is like, what their circumstances is like, what their environment is like. But prayer enables you to not just reflect your environment, it actually enables you to regulate your environment, right? A thermostat changes the temperature, a thermostat changes your situation based on its strength and its power. And prayer does this also in your life. It regulates your spiritual condition regardless of your circumstances. You can be thriving spiritually in a prison. You can be rejoicing with nothing. And all through the strength that you have in Christ that you put on through prayer. Don't believe me? Ask Paul. 
Paul in Philippians 4, 12 through 13 says this, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. I know uh, in every and any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul could be abounding. Paul could be low and depressed and in a discouraging situation. But in all things, he was able to spiritually thrive through Christ who strengthened him. And that's what prayer is in your life. Prayer enables you not just to reflect your environment. Prayer enables you to actually regulate your spiritual environment, if you could say it like that. Here's another reason to continue and finish strong in prayer. Not only is it just a short time left, you've only got four days left, not only do you get great spiritual strength from prayer like that of a thermostat, but also you need prayer most in your life when life is screaming excuses most at you in your life, don't you? Maybe perhaps you're screaming a few excuses. Hey, I've been faithful for for 25 days. I think I'll just kind of take a break for these last four no, prayer is what you need when you, when you are most fatigued. Prayer is what you need when you have the most excuses to not do it. Prayer is the thing that everyone needs in their life. Are, are you in shape in your life? Are you spiritually in shape? Are you ready spiritually for whatever comes your way? Prayer will help you get into spiritual shape. You don't know what tomorrow will face, but you do know that you can pray for God's grace in tomorrow. So that's just my encouragement to finish strong in prayer. Let's turn now to Titus chapter 3. We're going to read the first two verses and and look at that for a few moments here. Um, Paul says to Titus, he's kind of turning the corner in his letter to Titus. This is what I would say the kind of the, the third movement of his letter. He's already talked about the necessity of godliness over the church, and he has sent Titus to the island of Crete to establish, to appoint leaders of the church because godliness is essential for the church. That was chapter one. He's already insisted on the necessity of godliness inside the church, right? You live and you interact with one another inside the church and you influence one another. That's why godliness is essential in the church. But now he turns in his third part of the letter and conveniently his third chapter marking, which he did not write number three, by the way. And now he turns to the necessity of godliness outside the church. Uh, the, The picture of godliness that you reflect to those who are watching. Um, Notice, notice how he's not just referring to other believers, but he seems to be referring to anyone, unbelievers even, in these next two verses. He refers to rulers, authorities. He returns to, he, he refers to all people. He, he refers to all of these things. And in all these things, the theme is devote yourself to good works. Verse 8, devote yourself to good works. Verse 14. Let's read here really quick. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Let's stop right there, right? Here we we are. Here we are, and, and Paul is making a final appeal to Titus. And notice what he says. He says the word remind. And this indicates that these are things that Titus or Paul 
have already told these people on this island. These are truths, these are applications that they already know. These are, these are things that these people already knew they should be doing. But Paul says it is essential that they be reminded to keep doing these things. Reminders. That's all these are, just reminders. We need reminders in our life. But I don't like reminders very much. Do you like reminders? I hate it when I'm being reminded of something. When was the last time you enjoyed your parents reminding you of something? Was it ever a pleasant experience? Was it ever like, oh, just a reminder, we're going to Disneyland today. Oh, yes. No, it's never that. It's never that, right? I don't like reminders. Reminders stink. Generally speaking, and I know I'm painting with a broad brush, uh, reminders are given whenever I don't want to do something. Reminders are for homework. Reminders are for chores. Reminders are for college applications. Reminders are for all of these things that you just don't like doing as much. And you need to put sticky notes and reminders on. You never, you notice, you never have to put sticky notes on the freezer door. Hey, just a reminder, there's some ice cream in here. Just, just remember that, right? You always have to be reminded of things that are a little bit hard. Reminders stink. Often they are embarrassing. It means I am forgetful, right? I need to be reminded of things and I forget them. Often they are discouraging. Haven't I figured this out yet? Why do I need to hear this again, right? Reminders are, are humbling. What would I be like without these people that remind me in my life? I would just be a bumbling idiot. I'd be forgetting everything. It's humbling to be reminded. It shows you that you need somebody else in your life. And like I said before, reminders are revealing. Reminders reveal to me that I'm actually a very selfish person. I don't naturally do good things. I'm actually very selfish. Once again, I don't need to be reminded of the ice cream in the freezer. I don't need to be reminded of the snooze button on my alarm. I don't need a little sticky note on there either saying, by the way, just snooze today. You don't, I don't need to be reminded to do that. Reminders show me who I am. And I am lazy. I am self-centered. I need to be reminded. I need to be focused on things. It's always funny to me when I see people put like stickers on their car, and those stickers are like, "Why in the world would you want that?" I, I don't want to be that. Like, like you know, the sticker "Be you." Hopefully, none of you have that sticker on your car or on your Bible or anything like that. But I, it's fine if you if you like it. But I always think when I see that sticker "Be you," do I need to be reminded to be me? I don't. If anything, I need to be reminded to not be me. I need to be, don't be you. Don't be idiot David, right? We do not need reminders of things we are naturally good at, what we naturally want to do. We need reminders of things we don't do. And for that reason, reminders are very valuable, right? Reminders protect you from a colossal mess, which would be your life. Uh, Reminders keep you focused, remind you of important things that are coming. Reminders help you grow. Reminders, I would say, as we see here in Titus and we see all throughout the Bible, reminders are God's way of continually sanctifying us. And when we see reminders in God's word, we should be thankful, right? God keeps us on track. God knows who we are and he continues to hound us with what we need to do. Think about it that way. When you hear a sermon that you've already heard before or on a passage that you've already heard before, thank you, God, that you remind me of these things because I am so quick to forget them. I mean, just think about it. What would Christian from Pilgrim's Progress be like if there weren't characters coming up to him continually reminding him of the truths and what real reality was like, right? He would be a lost man. 
And God sends us people and truths as reminders in our life for the same purpose. And that's what we have here. We have reminders. Titus is to remind the Cretans of things that they already know. Once again, the the church's ultimate purpose, their their ultimate purpose is not just simply evangelism. Paul wants them to be sharp and faithful in the truth, not just so that they grow by numbers, but, but the ultimate purpose for faithfulness, the ultimate reason why Titus is to remind them of these things, the ultimate reason why you are to take godliness so seriously is simply this, because it pleases Christ. I want to do what pleases Christ. I want to be reminded of what pleases Christ because that's what I want my life to be. Uh, we, we get this, all this instruction to Titus for that main purpose, right? Put them, put them in order, uh, insist on godliness because it pleases Christ. Pleasing Christ, having a life that pr- pleases Christ, ultimately will lead to a fruitful life, to an effective life, to a useful life. But that is ultimately what Paul is after. To live a life of praise and worship in response to the gospel. To live a life that says, I want to praise Christ's name because he has so graciously saved me. And, and this is who you are as a Christian, right? If you are a Christian, your whole life, you see your whole life as one opportunity after another to simply praise God for his mercy and for his grace and for his kindness to you in the gospel. You, you want reminders to help you praise, because this is what you are called to do. And regardless of the situation you in, you're in, regardless of the circumstances you're surrounded by, regardless of who is over you, your life is meant to praise God. And you want people to help you do this. You want reminders in your life. And that is what we have here. We have a few reminders. And so we're going to look at this in that way. This is a couple reminders, and, and basically this. If you are a Christian, you have the opportunity to show God's grace. And we talked about that all throughout Titus 2, and we continue talking about that even here. But I want you to think about um, these reminders in this way. Three things that you have the opportunity to do if you are a Christian. Number one, you have an opportunity to show God's grace under any government. And I'll repeat these for you. You have the opportunity to show God's grace in any circumstance. And finally, you have the opportunity to show God's grace in any relationship. If you are a Christian, you, your aim is to bring praise to God, and you can do this in any circumstance, any situation, under any government, in any relationship, because, not because of the strength that's in you, but because of the glorious grace that comes to you in the gospel. And here we are reminded of all of that here tonight. Let's look at the first, the first uh, heading in our message. Uh, remember, you can show God's grace under any government. Like I said, uh, Paul now turns kind of to the, the Christian's role, necessity of godliness in the world, right? And, and you can tell he's talking about the Christian in relationship to the world because he's talking about their submission to government, um, how they speak to anyone. Um, how they show courtesy towards all people. But notice this first part here. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. Think about that. The Christian is able to honor God, to live a life that worships God under even the worst governments. The Christian is able. matter, You see this all throughout the Bible, right? You see again and again the Christian commanded to, exhorted to, submit to governing authorities. 
And, and these aren't easy governing authorities. These are the authorities of, you know, First Peter, where persecutions are happening. The Christian is able to show God's grace under any government authority. The Christian doesn't need to have a perfect world in order to live a life that's honoring to God, right? In, in fact, it could be argued, right, sometimes it seems like God puts us in difficult situations in our life and in the United States in order to show His grace in us more. If you were in a perfect world, his grace would not be as on display in your life as if you are in a difficult world. Here we see this command to the church. It's totally enabled through the grace of God that we've already seen in Titus 2.11. And it is to be submissive. It is to be obedient. It is to willingly put yourself under someone else. The Christian can do this, by the way, for various reasons. Why can the Christian put themselves willingly under even a pagan government and submit to them and obey them? How can they do this? Well, number one, they can do this because they actively, truly believe in the sovereignty of God and the providence of God. Do you know what sovereignty and providence mean? Sovereignty, uh, the sovereignty of God means God is in control of everything. Do you believe that to be true in your life, that God is actually in control of everything? And providence means all of that power of God to control everything in uh, worked out in a way that brings Him glory, right? He works out everything with sovereign power, sovereign control, in such a way to, to seek out His purposes. That is God's sovereignty and, and, and providence. And that's what the Christian believes. They can say to themselves... I may be here, but I also believe in a sovereign God that is working out things according to his providence and his good counsel. And he has a purpose for me in my sanctification, perhaps in my witness to the world, all in me being here. So I can be content in this situation because I serve a powerful, sovereign God. But a Christian also can put themselves under even a, a pagan government because they understand God's purposes in a government. God has great purposes in a government. We would refer to this as God's common grace that he gives to us, even through wicked governors and leaders. There are various means of God's common grace that we see in the world today. We see God's common grace in government. We see God's common grace in family. We see even God's common grace in our conscience and even in the church of God itself. All of these ways God has put into society to control evil in society. This is what government is instituted for, according to Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2. Government is instituted by God in order to, you know, stop evil and promote good. That is why government is generally established. And the, and the Christian can say, government is here with, with a purpose of God, a common grace, something that it gives to all people so that evil doesn't run amok and go crazy. And we can trust in God's common grace. Uh, first, uh, Timothy 2 also talks about government. Government is placed here in order to, in some way, in, in an imperfect way, bring about a more peaceful society so that you can pursue the aims of Christ. And I know it's imperfect and governors are evil and wicked, but when you are a believer and you believe this to be true, you can even submit yourself even to wicked governors because you know that they have a place in God's controlling plan. But a believer can also submit to government because they understand God's limits under a government, right? A, a government doesn't have total authority in their life. And that's why the believer can submit even with, with joy, with confidence, with courage in God. A government isn't 
uh, isn't uh, the final authority in this world. They, they are not the ultimate one that provides uh, truth. They are not the ultimate ones that provide stability. They are just instruments in the ultimate one's hands. And that's why the believer can, can submit themselves, right? They can submit themselves knowing, hey, you know what? I am under God and he is truly over this government situation, and I can trust him. Matter of fact, I love the verse in 1 Peter uh, 2.16 where it talks about Christians. They, they should live as free people. They're, they're not slaves to anyone. They are only the servants of God, and therefore they can trust in God. And they ultimately have to obey God. And that is why they can submit to God's even institution of government. You can show God's grace under any government. Because you believe in a God who's in control. And you ultimately submit to God and not to governors. And so you can trust in his will. And why do we need reminders of this? Why does a believer need to be reminded to submit themselves to governing authorities? To be obedient? Well, I think it's quite easy to understand why this would need to be reminded. It's because your, your, your society, just like the society in Crete, was surrounded by a bunch of people who hated government authority, who wanted to rebel against the government. It was the cool thing to not take government very seriously and try to skirt around uh, government authority and to rebel. Matter of fact, look over in chapter 1, verse 12. Remember this? Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Cretans are the worst. It's easy to rebel against government in this society. Christians actually have grace, the grace of God showing in them to demonstrate that they are different than the world, right? They can humbly submit to government when everybody around them is discontent with government and frustrated. They can see God's providence, God's sovereignty, even in their situation. And they can even have joy in their situation because they believe in God's power and God's strength. We need to be continually reminded of this because we need to be continually reminded that we are different people serving different purposes. We are people called to live in the place that we are lived to honor God and to serve him. To be what Titus 2.14 is talking about. A people of his own possession, even here, who are zealous for good works. You show God's grace when you humbly submit. Not totally submit. Your ultimate allegiance is to God, but when you humbly can submit and obey even wicked leaders, you can show God's grace. But there's another way you show God's grace. Not only do you show God's grace when you are under any government, you can also show God's grace in any circumstance. I love the second half of verse 1 there, and when he continues to lift, list off these commands. He also says, be ready for every good work. Be ready for every good work. The, the Christian doesn't have a mindlessness about them. They're not just walking around obeying everybody else. They're just not submitting about that. They have a noticeable busyness about them. They have a noticeable purpose about them. They are ready to show God's grace in any circumstance. They are ready to show God's grace in any circumstance. Notice that word there. Uh, be ready to do. Be ready for every good work. Be ready for every good work. The, the Christian lives with this continual eagerness 
zeal, purpose about them to pursue something good, something eternal, regardless of what situation they're in. In any situation, they can find good to be done. Be ready for every good. Be ready for every good. How do you put yourself in such a state of readiness? Well, it's very interesting to me. You, 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 to, to obey this doesn't come naturally. It's obviously by the grace of God in your life. Be ready to pursue every good. Be ready to seek out every good. There's an interesting cross-reference over in uh, Timothy 2, uh, 2 Timothy 2, that talks about Timothy um, and, and talks about the whole church of God being like a house where there's vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor, and some on, uh, vessels can clean themselves in 2 Timothy 2.21. If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. How do you prepare yourself to be ready for every good work? How can you see in every situation an opportunity to be good and do good things? It comes from a purity within. It comes from cleansing yourself, cleansing your mind, cleansing your conscience. When you have a clear conscience for God, you are ready to do every good work. Or we could look over at Titus 1.16, and we see the exact opposite of this. Those people who believe truth and error and spread those things in Titus 1.16 are unfit for any good work, Right? Those who have cleansed themselves through the truth of God's word are ready for good work. Confession, repentance makes you enabled to pursue every good work. In any situation, you can find something good to do. And that comes from the grace of God in any circumstance. Remember, you can be, by the power of God, by the grace of God, a thermostat, not just a thermometer, you can actually change your circumstance by the grace of God in your life. Are you merely just a reflection of your circumstances? Or are you someone who is pursuing, actively eager to pursue anything that will bring honor to God in whatever situation you are in? Are you someone who is reflective? Are are you someone that says, hey, everyone's grumbling, so I think I'll just grumble. Are, Are you someone that says, hey, everyone's being foolish, I think I'll just be foolish. Are you just reflective of the culture, or can you be eager for good even in any circumstance? Are you a regulator of your circumstance? Are you a a thermostat? Do you have eyes to see every good work? Do you have eyes to see not just the person you want to be a friend with, but the person who needs a friend? Do you have eyes to see not enemies, but people who need the grace of Christ in the gospel? Do you have eyes to see every good work? That only comes from a clean heart and a clean mind that's been cleansed from their sin. Those people have a new purposeness about them. They say, if I can't be doing, I will be praying. If I can't be praying, I will be holding up the arms of other people who are praying. I earnestly want to be used by God and be zealous for his purposes. I want to seek any opportunity I can to do as much good as I can. Why do Christians need to be reminded to do this? Well, because it does not come naturally again, right? The world, the world is devoted, the world is zealous for whatever does them the most good, aren't they? Look over actually at uh, Titus 3.3, 3, one verse down. 
Uh, this is who we used to be. This is, this is our past life. And what were we devoted to? What were we sold into? We were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves of various passions and pleasures, passing our day in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. This is what the world does. This is what the world is devoted to. This is what the entire culture around you is devoted to. No, it takes the grace of God in your life to be devoted to something else. It takes the grace of God in your life not to just simply be about you, but to belong to Christ Jesus and to seek His purposes. And you need to be reminded that this is why you're here on earth. So you can, you can show God's grace in, in or sorry, you can show God's grace under any government. You can show God's grace in any circumstance. And here's my, my third and final heading. You can show If you have been saved by grace, you can show God's grace in any relationship as well. This is where it gets very interesting to me. Because remember, I think this section in Titus is actually turning. It's not just talking about your relationships with other believers. It's not just talking about how you interact with people that are easy to interact with. It's talking about governments difficult people. It's talking about all people at the end of verse 2. It's talking about no one at the beginning of verse 2. That's speak no evil of no one. It's talking about your relationship to all kinds of people. It's primarily talking about your relationships to unbelievers as well. And notice what the grace of God does in your life. It changes you. And you can show God's grace in any relationship. And here we have some instructions for how to be friendly, how to relate to unbelievers as well. Or think about it this way. How does the paintbrush of God's grace color in your life, in your relationship to other people in this world? Here here we see just kind of two things. Two, two, uh, two strokes of the paintbrush that show us how our life looks different by the grace of God. Well, number, number one, this is how your life looks. You are unlike the world in your speech. You are unlike the world in your speech. Verse 2, we are to speak evil of no one. And notice, we are to avoid quarreling, right? We are to speak evil of no one. That means to slander That means to malign. That means to blaspheme. That means to treat someone with contempt. That means to hurl curses and vicious attacks at someone. We are to do that to no one, regardless of how evil they are to us. Matter of fact, MacArthur says this in his commentary. Even while contending against the worst sins committed by the worst of sinners, we must never stop to step, stoop to maligning those whose sins we detest. Even when they are sinning against you, you can speak evil of no one. We don't use their words. We don't use their tone. We don't speak like they speak. We don't sound like them. We use speech to build up. We do not use speech like they use speech. But notice also, we are unlike the world also in our problems. You are unlike the world in your speech, and you are noticed as unlike the world also in how you deal with problems in your life. 
even problems in those relationships. You are to avoid quarreling. You are to be gentle. Both of those two commands are very closely connected to one another. The first one, to avoid quarreling, means you are peaceful. It means you are uncontentious. It means you you don't like to do battle. By the way, by the way, there, there is a form of fighting that isn't fighting. The pastor is called the fight without fighting. In 2 Timothy 2, 24, Paul says this to Timothy, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Okay, that makes sense. But then he goes on, able to teach and patiently enduring evil. And then look at this, verse 25, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Notice the way the believer even fights, the way the believer even corrects their opponents is done with a noticeable gentleness about them. They are not quarrelsome. They're not quick to fight. They are quick to kindness and gentleness. And that leads us to the other word, gentleness. That means you're humble. That means you're patient. Even when wrongs have been committed to you, you are still kind and you do not return in kind. You are to show perfect courtesy in all things. Someone who shows courtesy is someone who bears up under even evil done to them with grace and patience and steadfast love and kindness. I, I actually really liked what one commentator said about this. He said, you really know what that word courtesy means based on what it's not. Uh, it, to be courteous means you are not rough. It means you don't have a bad temper. It means you are not quick to anger. That is what a courteous person is. They are long-suffering. They are kind. They do not return a punch for a punch that's been given to them. By the way, and where does all this come from? It comes from grace in your life. You show grace by how different you are. And notice, you can show grace in the hardest of relationships. You can show grace in the most difficult circumstances. You can show grace even under the most evil governments. Why? Because your life is not dependent on your circumstances or who you're, you're relating to or, or any of that. Your life, your circumstances are dependent on your relationship with God. Matter of fact, This is what it shows you. Your circumstances show you what you believe to be true about you. Right? Your circumstances show what you believe the worst enemy is in your life. Your circumstances reveal what you believe is the greatest kindness that anyone's ever done to you. In your circumstances, regardless of how evil they are or how unjust your treatment is that people are giving you, your circumstances can always be a way for you to say, that was who I was with God, and he showed mercy and kindness and grace to me. He was long-suffering to me. How can I not be long-suffering and kind and gracious to these people? In every circumstance, under any government, In any relationship, you have an opportunity to give praise and to showcase the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. But we need to be reminded of those things, right? Because that is not easy to do. We we live in a world that that does not happen. But that is the great opportunity that we've been set here for, isn't it? So that we can show the grace that has been given to us and use that opportunity as a way to speak to speak about the truth of that grace. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, we thank you for your great grace to us that changes us, that transforms any situation 
enables us to endure under any situation. Because our aim is not, our aim is not what other people are doing to us or what we can do to them to get back. But our aim is to give you praise and to give you glory. We pray that we would do this effectively and we'd even prepare to do this even better as we grow older and go from here. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.